pop that sucker open. You've got a pen. You're going to take a little notes. We're in our In Christ series. I'm telling you, we could roll on this for the rest of the year, but we're not. But we could. Um, <clears throat> just understanding who we are in Christ, all that we have in Christ, what it means to be in Christ, our authority in Christ, all this stuff is just so rich and so full. And so we're going to be looking at this next little piece. And as I was, as I was thinking about these different pieces, um, I really wanted to make sure we covered this in this series. Because, you know, especially with us being a, a new church in town, and being a, a new church plant. Um, obviously, we're not, we weren't the first church in San Angelo. Um, we are not going to be the last church to start in San Angelo. I'm excited about the work of the churches who teach the Word of God and who, who understand that it's, we're saved by grace through faith and every flavor that that is. And we are grateful for that. And so we're, what we're wanting to look at today is how interconnected we are with all believers in Christ and what that means and how some of that plays out. Because we've kind of had a launch phrase for the last two weeks and we've kind of morphed it this week. And uh, we're just going to go ahead and jump into our notes. And it says, understanding our position in Christ completely determines <clears throat> how we interact with God, which we looked at some of the last two weeks, and with others. When we really understand how we connect with others. That once we were, remember, there, there are two places. You're either in Christ or you're out. That's it. Even later on when you look at it, once, once you're in Christ, there is no other determination. Paul says there's not male or female. All that goes away. There's not Jew or, or Greek. That was the people who had been serving God in, in a certain understanding forever and then everybody else on the face of the planet. There's, there's no color. There's no anything. Once we're in Christ then that defines us in anything that is outside of Christ. And we were looking, we've looked at in the previous weeks what it meant to be out and what it means to be in Christ. But we, there's this transformation that takes place. Once we're in Christ, there's this new mode of operation. We've, we've graduated. We're not the stuff that was outside of Christ. It operates in a whole different paradigm than what it means to be in Christ. And I love that this weekend... When uh, my, my youngest son, Carson, he's seven years old, um, he, he, had a, he had a graduation moment, and I didn't even realize it uh, until just the other day. But uh, we had we'd gone shopping, and we're at the mall, and Carson has uh, like a, a, the bladder the size of a walnut or something. I mean, he's just constantly having to go to the restroom. And so we uh, had to, to go, and... And, uh, of course, most of you ladies have never been in a men's restroom. Um, but in the public men's restroom, you know, you have multiple. But they have, you have the urinals. And if they've got multiple, then they've got the short ones for the, for, the, for the little kids. And they've got the taller ones. And Carson has always, in the past, has always raced. When, you know, we all go to the restroom. He's always raced to get the short one because that was his. You know, he'd always race to that. And if one of us kind of tried to get that boy he'd yell at us that one's mine and uh so anyway so i noticed that we we walk in and the the short one's close and he walk and he looks at it and he walks past and he goes to the big one but suffice to say it was a little too tall but he didn't care and so i had to tell him i said boy no it, it, no you're you're not big enough for that. Go down to, this, to, this, to the small one. 
So he moves down. We, a few hours later, he has to go again. We walk into a different restroom. And again, there's the short one. And he passes right past the short one and goes to the tall one. I said, so are you just done? Are you just done with the short ones? Are you like just a big boy now? He's like, Dad, I'm four foot one. I had no idea that once you crossed four feet that you had arrived at true big boyness. And we always thought it was like an age or something. No, it, apparently, once you've crossed four foot, man, I'm telling you, it's a whole new world. Boy's four foot one. I think it was exciting because he'd always been in the past. We'd refer to him as he was like 47 inches. You know, and they know I'm six foot two and Keenan's six foot in a little bit and Mama's five three and all these different things. And all of a sudden he had a he had a foot and an inch. It's like, boom, I'm done. It's like moving from months to years with the baby. All of a sudden there's a whole new paradigm. But that in once we have stepped into Christ, things shift. We, there's some old things that get put away and some a little bit of competitiveness and divisiveness and all this kind of stuff that maybe just kind of happens outside of Christ, that stuff has to go away when we're in Christ because we're now part of the body. And then that one body, there, there is this, there's this newness that exists and there has to be this rethinking. We have to be able to walk past some old things that we had always kind of naturally fell into and remember that, no, wait a second, I'm a new, I'm a new creation. I'm living on a new level, and I have to operate in a different way. See, Jesus has said that the whole Bible can be summed up into two phrases. Love God and love others. He said all the law and the prophets, all of it, hangs on these two things. Every bit of it was pointing us to that. It was, it was cutting us off. It's like you'd be like me telling my, my kid to say, I want you to stay right here. And then they would take a step and I'd go, all right, no, push. Every bit of it was kept reminding us that it's about those two things. All of it, all the law, all the prophets, all of it keeps pointing us back to those two things. See there in Matthew 22, we're quoting Jesus. It says, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And this is the first and the greatest commandment, and the second one's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang, rest on these two commandments. Now, one thing we have to understand that once we are in Christ, everything's Everything gets fulfilled because Colossians 2.17 says these are a shadow of the things that were to come. All, and it was referring to the verses right before that, referring to all the laws, all of the, the Old Testament, all of the, these things that they were living by, all these little rules and regulations. They were a shadow. They were pointing the way so that they would recognize what it was. It's like on my GPS. My GPS shows the little road on my screen shows where I'm supposed to go. All that is is a shadow to, so when I get to the real road, then I will recognize it. I'm not supposed to drive on that little pink line on that little thing. No, it's there to show that when I get to that V, it looks just like that. Ah, oh, that's where I go. If I take the right road when I'm there. It is a shadow of it. That is what the law was. It says, But the reality, however, is found in Christ. All of these other things, all these other 
they, they get fulfilled. We get to live them out. They're all done in Christ. We get to truly love God and truly love others only in Christ. We try to do it from a different position. We try to do it on, based on how they treat us. We won't be able to love people. I'm telling you, as much as I adore my wife, if I based my, all of my decisions on how she treats me, I would not be able to love her right. And if she did that with me, she would not be able to love me right. Because I don't treat her right all the time. And if it's a stipulation, well, you do this and this and this, you're nice to me, I'm nice to you. You're nice to me, I'm nice to you. You're nice to me. And then we're just, okay, you're bad to me. Okay, well, now it's on. All right, back. We're nice, we're nice, we're nice. No. It's when it's whenever we're truly in Christ and I respond based on my position in Christ, then I can perfectly love my wife and she can perfectly love me and I can perfectly love anybody else. But in, out of any place else outside of Christ, it's not going to happen. It is fulfilled in that place. See, in Christ, all believers are connected. And this connection should be evident through our love for each other. Now, just because we don't all meet under one roof together doesn't mean that we should not treat each other with respect and love and admiration, that we shouldn't be for each other. I'm telling you, it is just a, it is a wonderful thing when those who maybe take this wonderful, wonderful set of truth and maybe look at it from a little bit different angle. You know, I'm sitting here and I look at it from this side and Larry looks at it and maybe we're seeing a little bit different thing. But we're both united in Christ so we don't let our views on these things come in between us. Why? Because we're in Christ. And we have to have that spirit about us as a whole. Of all of those who are in Christ, we have to be good at this. See, Jesus... I so wish, it, it would feel so much better to us. We would feel like we could do it easier. If he said, the world would know you by how much you love those who don't yet know me. We'd feel like maybe we could do that. But that's not what he said, the world's going to know that you're my disciples. He's going to say, the world's going to know you, that you're my disciples, by how well you love one each other. Oh my gosh, are you serious? You know, at least the people on the outside, they got a good excuse. They don't know yet. They haven't read. They haven't been introduced. But, man, that knucklehead over there, he's been in church forever, and he's still a bonehead, and he still gets on my nerves. And I'd just rather not ever talk to that guy again. You mean how I treat him? That's how people are going to know if I'm Jesus' disciple? I'd rather go over there to the foul-mouthed, custom person and just love on them and support them and be for them and pray for them than, than this person who's you know, looks at the Bible a little bit different than I do. That's, that's harder. But that's what's going to determine how people really know I belong to Christ, is how we deal with that. Man, that's where the rubber meets the road. See, Romans twelve five says, So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to the other. I'm telling you, it's one thing when you think that belongs. 
See, my kids, they, they belong to me. Those are my kids. This is my wife. She belongs to me. There is something there. And I tell you, my kids, you can see it with them. Boy, they'll pick on each other. There'll be all this stuff. And, man, if somebody else try to get, woo, you don't mess with one Clark kid, you're going to get all of them. And they're going to come as a pack. And so they, they will stick together. Now, at home, boy, they'll, woo, they'll mess with each other and all of that. But I'm telling you, they, they, will, they will stick together because they belong. That's the way we have to be with all believers. With all those who call on the name of Jesus, whether they understand the, the work of the Holy Spirit or not, whether they <clears throat> worship on, on one particular day or not, whether they wear ties and think everybody should or not, no, it doesn't, no matter what, we ought, there ought to be this united thing. And it's just kind of wrong when you're that connected and belong to each other and you, you, you don't live like it. When at my senior year in high school, my senior year in high school, now Permi and I had, there's, three, you know, it's the sophomore, juniors, and seniors are all there at school. I, we were standing in the hall, and uh, one of my buddies had a class with this guy. And this guy's standing just like from me to Joe. And, we're stand, and they look over at him, and they're like, Clark, that dude totally looks like you. Are y'all related? And I'm like, no, I have no idea who that guy is. And they're like, and that's why they, they ask him his name. He says his name is Chris Clark. And uh, they're like, no, Clark, seriously, seriously. You have the same name. Y'all have the same puppy dog eyes. Y'all have the same, y'all just look too much alike. Y'all have to be related. I'm like, look, I don't know who this person is. I have no idea. I don't know this person. He was a junior. And he's just standing there. And uh, so I'm like, look, if I had a relative, if I had a cousin that lived in my town that I went to school with, I would know it. And so I go home and I tell my parents, I was like, you know, the guys were telling me there's this kid at school, his name's Chris Clark. And they said, man, y'all look such a lot, y'all are bound to be relatives. And they're like, oh, yeah, he's your cousin. <laughs> like, Seriously? On my mom's side, I was the oldest of seven cousins. They're all girls. Like, I had a guy cousin? What is up with this deal? But, and then what was sad is the whole time he knows I'm his cousin. He's standing there, and I'm just denying the hound out of this guy. And he knows, and he doesn't pop up and say nothing. And then later, I have to go and apologize. Dude, I'm so sorry I didn't know we were relatives. And then we kind of began to get to know each other, and then it became this big joke, and all that but it was just it was just wrong it was just wrong for us to have no connection to be related to share the same blood to share the same heritage and and all of that stuff and have no connection no support no nothing it was just so wrong and it is that way with the body of Christ, we ought to be so interconnected. We ought to have great friends that, that are a parts of the body of Christ that attend other churches and, and are involved and maybe have a little bit different theological slants on some different things. We ought to be able to just connect around the fact that it's about Jesus, that we are alive in Christ. See, John 13 says, A new, ma a new command I give you, love one another and as i have loved 
you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Colossians 1, 4 says, Because we have heard your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. See, we have heard about the love that you have for all the saints. For the, now it wasn't for the saints who, you know, believe just like you, the saints who've been walking with God as long as you, the, the saints who show up and fellowship at the same church as you. No, it's all of them. That is something that's notable and something that's alive. So how do we get this thing alive in our hearts? How do we really do this? And the first one is, is we've got to be thankful for those that are different than us and recognize their value to God. Now, I'll tell you what, as much as it's difficult to see, that, to see this, this place where our society teaches tolerance to a level where it's like sin doesn't exist. We just have to tolerate each other. We just have to put up with each other. It, it, it's difficult from understanding that there is, a, there is a right and there is a wrong. But I'm telling you, there, that truth that is alive in our culture's heart is a thing that I think God is trying to work into the church as a whole. Because even though the, the world has taken it and carried it too wrong, and now we're just going to be tolerant, we just have to put up with all this stuff, and, and we can't say there's a right and there's a wrong because that's going to hurt somebody's feelings. And I understand not being mean-spirited about it, but, but th this, this thing, this spirit where we should be able to deal with those who are a little bit different than us that are, we're still united in Christ. That is something the church has not been good at. We've not been the forerunners of doing this. That's why so many people who have this desire for God but know that their life is kind of out of whack, doesn't kind of fall in with the regular church thing, man, they get so creeped out walking into church. They're so afraid that somebody's going to yell at them or tell them you got to quit this or do that or all of this intolerance instead of saying, wow, you, you have a heart for God, so do I. Man, we can live together. We can live together. We can grow together. I'm still progressing. You're still progressing. God's working on you. God's working on me. Let's do this thing together. Let's lock arm in arm and let's be for each other. Man, whenever we do that, who doesn't want to be a part of that? Who doesn't want to be a part of the real love that edifies and builds up and changes lives? I'm telling you, I know that's what draws me in. And again, it's the love of God. The love of God. Not the law of God that draws people to repentance. That draws us to say, wow, I need to fix this. So we have to be thankful for those who are different than you by recognizing their value. Their value, their value to God. See, 1 Corinthians 1.4 says, I always thank God for you. Because of, his, because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. I had an awakening moment on coming off of uh, Knickerbocker, getting on the loop. You know, I was going towards the lake, I was exiting there off of Knickerbocker, going to get up on the loop and head towards like Sam's Walmart area. I'm getting on that entrance ramp. And somebody just comes whoo, swooping in, going way too fast and then just cuts me off 
but doesn't cut me off like really good enough where they can just blow past me. I have to hit my brakes. And it just, all of a sudden, I just got crazy mad. This was a few years ago, and I was just like mad. And so I was yelling at them and all sorts of stuff. And bless God, I didn't cuss at them, but uh, I think kids were in the car. <laughs> and uh, anyways, and so I was, I was just upset at this, that this person had acted like that. And it was just bothering me all the way. And I was just watching them as they were weaving in and out of traffic going up. And, and I was so wishing a cop was there to pull them over. And, and I was just hoping for them to get what was coming to them. And, and all of a sudden, it, this God just spoke into my heart. I, I love them. That is my child. That is my child. That's what I sent my son for. Now, all of a sudden, I just repented. I said, God, how many people do I pass every day? Maybe not get mad at, but just walk past indifferently. Not with not this awareness of God's value that is alive on the inside of them. I mean, we use that same teaching method with our kids all the time. You know, one of our kids gets a little snippy with one of our other kids. We go, now, wait a second. Don't you talk to my son that way. Don't you talk to my daughter that way. You know, we can't bring back to the, there is this value on this person. If nothing else, if not to you, there is to me. And bring this back. See, we have to recognize and be awakened to the value that God has placed on <clears throat> all of the, the people that are around us. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 through 22 says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us and set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. See, God does it both for, you, for us and for you. There was, you see this little, this little division Paul has in there, but he, he makes it go away in Christ. There's this little bit of us in you. There's this little bit that it shows up in his verbiage. But all of a sudden, he kills it because of being in Christ. When we understand that we are, we're both in, we're both on this ship together, we're both going in this direction together, then all of a sudden it changes everything. The next thing is, is <clears throat> we should do everything for the strengthening of others. Again, while recognizing their value to God. Second Corinthians 12 <clears throat> says, Have you been thinking all along that we've been defending ourselves to you? We've been speaking in the sight of God as those... In Christ, our perspective is from here. It's from being in Christ. And everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. That it's not about us. It's not about me. It's, a, it's about others. It's about helping them grow. It's about helping one another to move forward in Christ. Like we talked about last week out of Galatians chapter 3, that you were all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. That all is that we do it for the benefit. And a lot of times there may be something that we don't see the need for. But when we bring perspective of others in, we'll see that, oh, okay, now it's needful. 
Now this is a needful thing. Okay? <clears throat> there, is a, there are a ton of things that my life shifts and there are parameters, not because I necessarily have some deep conviction that I myself can't do them, but for the benefit of others, I don't. Now we look scripturally at the, at the Bible. You know, the Bible simply, the Bible does not say never have, a, never have a beer, never have wine, never have alcohol. The Bible doesn't say it. You can't find it. The, guess what, folks? The, the wine Jesus, the, the water Jesus turned to wine, it was the good wine. It had alcohol in it. I know there are people who, you know, try to say that it was like some sort of fancy grape juice. No. People could have gone over there and got into those gallons and gallons and gallons of wine and just got snockered off of miracle wine. They just totally could have. Jesus was the hookup. He he did. But the Bible doesn't the Bible doesn't say that we're not supposed to consume any alcohol whatsoever. It doesn't. What it does tell us is not to consume it to excess. Same thing with we're supposed to do with muffins or ribs or any of our favorite foods and not eat them to excess. That's called gluttony, and we're not supposed to do it. We're not supposed to drink to excess. And so I know that a beer touching my lips is fine. I don't get drunk. There's nothing wrong with it. I don't, I'm totally right in the eyes of God. I also know that I live in the Bible Belt and that I'm in ministry and that a lot of folks who are out just partying it up on the weekends, in their, per, their mindset, their parameters, they think that we believe that you should not drink. So then they see me out, and they don't just see me at a distance, and I'm over at Henry's, and I'm having dinner, and I have a corona, and I have one. Oh, I knew it. Just another hypocrite Christian. Now, who's the wrong? Who's wrong? Their perspective is wrong. But what just got thrown out the window? Any influence for the good that I might have had. So I don't take my liberty to order a Corona with my dinner because I'm, we're thinking about others. That is what was Jesus and, and Paul talks about. All things are permissible for me, but not everything is profitable. He even said that he'd go so far if it was, you know, that if offended somebody that to eat meat in their presence, he just wouldn't eat meat. All right, you know, bread and salad for me, you know. Why? Because that is a conviction that you have, you know. And if that, was the, if that was the case, if that was the culture we lived in, I'd have to have the grace for it, even though I'd love to eat a steak every day. Why? It's because it's not about ourselves. And when we recognize this value and we put it in that perspective, it changes everything. Romans 14 says, accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything. But another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. The guy who's living in the more freedom can't go, oh, wow, I really understand who I am in Christ. And, you, you know, you're in this slavery to eating only vegetables. I'm, I'm more righteous than you. No, that's wrong. And neither does the person who doesn't eat everything. Where am I? 
And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the one who does. For God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? Now see, if we're not careful, we can use that as a, we can use that as a weapon. And tell people, wait a second, I've got freedom to do. Who are you to judge? I'm God's servant. Who are you to judge? But that's not the context that Paul brings this to us in. Paul brings us into this thing of preferring the other and then not judging them because you're needing to limit yourself because of their convictions. That's what he says, don't judge another man's servant on. It's not that all of a sudden I have this weapon to poke you in the eye with if you're going to try to tell me I can't do something. To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. And then the last one is that we should want everyone to have what we have and recognize their value to God. See, this is that part of truly loving others as we really get to this place where we really love those who are maybe a little bit different than us but and seeing their value to God, and it, it's just like... Man, I told you, you can interpret the Bible a little different than me, and I'm totally cool with you. You're my brother. I'm going to be with you in heaven forever anyways. Let's just go ahead and start now. That's got to be our perspective on this thing. But then also those who are outside and go, man, it's totally wrong for you to not be hooked up in Christ like I am. We ought to have this passion, this desire to bring others in. And it's because of their value to God. Colossians 128 says, For we proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. Where's perfection found? In Christ. Remember, we remember it's no matter how what level of shortcomings you have, when you slide into Christ, all the gaps are filled. <laughs> it's so awesome. It just is good. keep losing my place there we go to this end i labor struggling with all of his energy which so powerfully works in me see there is this heart cry in people to be reconnected based on a place of love there is this incredible wonderful story about this father in spain who had been disconnected from his son and his son's name was paco and he goes down to, he's in a big metropolitan area, and goes down to the newspaper office and puts an ad in the newspaper. And the ad reads, he wanted to be reconnected with his son. And the ad read, Dear Paco, meet me in front of this newspaper office at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. When this father shows up and is waiting there at noon on Saturday, 800 plus Pacos showed up to reconnect with their fathers. He didn't think of the impact of just that one name and the fit in so many people and that there would be that many people disconnected. But 800 hopeful people showed up to reconnect with their father see that's what this world is crying out for they don't need our judgment even though we hold to the standards of the word of god and god is moving us towards perfection in that we don't whitewash it and make it go away we god's bringing us that about but i'm telling you 
It's the love of God. We have to love each other and then love every person that's around us and help them reconnect with this Father who says, all is forgiven. All is forgiven. Just hook up with me. Just connect with me. You were created to know me. See, John 17 says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. This, this inness, this oneness is there within the Trinity itself. And they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. When we really start operating in Christ, that's when the world's going to understand that Jesus really did come. And I have given them the glory that you gave me and they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, <clears throat> may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. See, truly loving God and truly loving others, it can only, only be done from positionally being in Christ. When we understand that, then all that other mess falls off. We're so forgiven, we can freely forgive. We're so loved, we can freely love. There's so much grace, we can give it out in bucket loads. It changes everything when we remember what Christ has done for us. And this morning, 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 us.